And welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. And I'm Dylan. And we're here again. Uh, do want to say a quick apology. Last week's episode I was doing from a different recording setup on my end. So there, there was like some fluctuation in volume in my half of the recording that I wasn't able to perfectly even out in post. So hopefully this week will sound more consistent. I apologize if I hurt anyone's ears. Um, <laughs> it wasn't terrible, but it... You edited it out the last time I apologized for my recording setup. Yeah, I'm, I'll probably edit this out too, but I wanted to have it just in case. <laughs> but now it's funny, so... <laughs> anyway, uh, we're back. We're going to talk more about games. And hey, Dylan, you you had the idea for this topic, and I, I'm very excited to get into it. So what are we talking about this week? Yeah, so um, this is kind of inspired by uh, playing Sin and Punishment... Uh, like both of them back to back and trying to adapt from one to the other so sin and punishment one is a game that i've been playing since 2008 i want to say um and so a lot of the way that game feels has just been natural through me playing it for over a decade at this point um however sin and punishment 2 is a game that i haven't really touched all that much and it's a game that it, it's designed very differently from the first game, so when I picked it up, I couldn't just take what I learned from the first game and, and apply it. So I actually had to kind of sit down and like look at specific things and be like, all right, so I'll, I'll get more into detail uh, when we start the actual conversation. But um, I had to actually make conscious notes and like craft theory as to how the uh, controls of Sin and Punishment 2 differed from Sin and Punishment 1. So, uh, to make a long story short, what I want to talk about this week is this idea of learning through theory and then just learning through practice, um, and the kind of, and I guess uh, to tie this into the theater part of our podcast, which we, we've kind of left by the wayside for a little bit, um, just the, the importance of rehearsal and feeling comfortable with an action to the point where you can do it subconsciously. Yeah. Uh, and you also, when we when you were kind of pitching this uh, in our in our texts, you you mentioned like kind the, what got me interested was you you brought it up as kind of like the difference between like intuitive play versus mm. like practiced play, right? And I thought that was a really fascinating little I don't want to say dichotomy because it's not like they're opposites of each other, but a really mm. interesting kind of split in how games are played and how games are learned that right. got me thinking about a lot of different things. Because I definitely, you know, to, to go back to the Sin and Punishment example, just like you get hit doing one thing, you're going to learn to not do that one thing. And you, you just kind of, by nature of, you know, risk aversion, you you subconsciously become more comfortable with whatever it is you're working at. But in this case, video games yeah um, yeah and you just you it, it becomes something intuitive like it wasn't until i started playing sin and punishment after playing a bunch of sin and punishment 2 where i was like oh okay the reason why i've been doing this like for example jumping instead of dodge rolling is because my fire my firing my weapon stops if i dodge roll whereas if i'm jumping i can still do the fire 
but then I have end lag and you know all these different right qualities right. that like I never thought consciously of until I played the sequel and came back to the original. That's really interesting. And you, there was an, there was an anecdote you mentioned about Pac Man that I am now mm-hmm. forgetting, but found really interesting. <laughs> um. Okay. Yeah. So this uh, uh, Tim Rogers he did a video like a huge deep dive into Pac Man and the culture behind Pac Man and all of that. And one of the things he talked about was how Miss a lot of people will generally agree that Miss Pac-Man is a better game because it's faster and the AI for um the AI for the ghost is more randomized, which means that there's a greater variation of playthroughs you can have, like ideally, in Miss Pac-Man. Mm-hmm. But he argued that Pac-Man is a better designed game because there's something about that predictability where someone who really knows that game and really understands that game um, can plan out that game. And, you know, almost to the point where, like, they... Uh, oh, I remember how I was going to tie this in, but uh, let me finish uh, real yeah. quick. You know, they can basically route the entire game and plan like plan the ghosts route and you know just there there are moments in like perfect plays of pac-man lovely alliteration there um (laughs) where they can just camp in a corner and just kind of take a mental break while the ghosts are stuck because they know the ai so well that they routed the ghost into that those corners that's so interesting it's really cool um and apparently one of the top scoring pac-man players in america did it just through vert like was able to do that just through virtue of having played pac-man so long interesting like, so it, it wasn't like you know the speedrunner situation of like you've practiced doing this you know like as an example i was watching an old gdq playthrough of uh castlevania aria of sorrow mm-hmm. and there are there are things that speedrunners have discovered in that game that like if you if you make certain choices, you will get certain outcomes out of the, like, typically, you know, quote-unquote random, but it's a random number generator with a seed that you can exploit mm-hmm. under the hood. So if you make certain movements or move in certain patterns or enter certain rooms at the right time, you can kind of manipulate that RNG and people right. practice to do that. This guy was managing to get that outcome in Pac-Man just kind of intuitively. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's fucking cool. But, you know, I, I'm willing to believe him because I don't know why you'd lie about that. It'd be a very weird lie. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this is like, this is a fascinating thing because I think that I started thinking about the kinds of games I like to play. Mm-hmm. And I think almost all of them have like a little bit of both of these elements in them. Okay. Like the game the games that I that I really end up enjoying are the ones where like there's a lot there for me to consciously sink my teeth into. Mm-hmm. But also there's an amount of it that is like you kind of just have to play and get the feel for it and get the like get it in your brain and in your hands what it feels like to move or to fly or to like string together attacks or whatever it is in that right. particular game. Like thinking in particular, I uh, I have spoken about this many times on the show. At this point, I spent a lot of the long periods of not going outside of my apartment in 2020, uh, finally really sinking my teeth into fighting games as a genre. And 
Dylan and I did a whole episode of this show on a little fighting game called Footsies, which is a, like, it's fighting games boiled down to moving forward and back and throwing out single attacks, essentially. Yeah. Um, And Dylan and I had a couple sessions of just, like, playing that game with each other for way longer than you would expect it to be fun for, but it was delightful. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've played that game just on my own, not inconsistently since then. And that game is all about that kind of intuitive, like, learning what it feels like. Like, yes, there's frame data there. Yes, I'm sure people have, like, gone under the hood and mapped out, like, even there, like, there's not much to map out. You have a jab and you have a follow-up attack and you have a couple of supers that are more for BM than anything. Right. But, like, playing that game, I have felt making me better at other fighting games just by virtue of, like, giving me a feel for what I need to do and, like, what spacing feels like and how movement should play out. And, like... For me, that's kind of what going from Blaze Blue to Street Fighter was, where mm -hmm. Street Fighter is such, like, it is, you know, a very basic fighting game because it was the genre starter. Yeah. But, like, in kind of taking away things like air dashes and air blocking and, you know, have, making combos a lot more quick, one-and-done type affairs, I started thinking less about, you know because I didn't have to worry about all these other, like, higher higher skill uh, techniques, like, I was able to focus on, you know, the basics, and to the point where the basics became what felt, like, felt comfortable, and I wasn't like, okay, I gotta get in as quick as I can and do a combo, it's like, okay, no, I gotta, you start thinking in terms of, like, okay, I gotta wait for my opponent to slip up, and then I can go in and get a couple hits in, and then if I if I have reached the skill level where I can finally start doing combos consistently, that's great. Um, but you, you start thinking more in terms of, like, the moment to moment. Yeah. And I think that fighting games as a genre really kind of encapsulate what I was saying about, like, I love games that have both of these elements of play in them. Because mm -hmm. a fighting game, like, if you look at especially a more complicated fighting game, like your your blaze blue or your dragon ball fighter arxis games yeah i actually <laughs> i general. actually got a couple examples that i was going to throw out later in the episode but if you want them now i can let's toss them out now let's do it uh but yeah you, you like for example uh i did some dylan joined me for uh some fighting games on my my twitch stream the other weekend and we were playing guilty gear and i spent probably half an hour 20 minutes uh, before the stream, just, like, practicing and, like, you know, picking a couple characters and figuring out, like, okay, what are some super simple combos that I can consistently get if I get a hit off? And, like, what do these characters' spacings feel like? And that kind of, like, that very analytical thinking, like, actually studying what that individual character plays like. And a lot of fighting, like, any good fighting game will reward you for doing that. But also then earlier this week Dylan and I just decided to play some uh some Last Blade 2 which is a game that I had played very little of like we I have played it maybe three or four times at this point like I enjoy it it's just not the one that I typically think to open up on my own right but I could feel the time that I'd spent playing Guilty Gear even though Last Blade 2 is a wildly different type of fighting game it's much more in the Street Fighter 
sense of like much more simplistic movement, shorter combos, punishing whiffs, that kind of thing, as opposed to like air dashing all over the place and trying to mix your opponent up that way. Even though they're wildly different kinds of games, that time I'd been spending putting into Guilty Gear, I could feel making me better at the intuitive, like kind of across the genre style of play when we were playing our rounds in Last Blade. And I thought that was such a cool, like, overlap. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, in terms of fighting games, uh, I've there was a weekend, I think it was like the week before Christmas, um, where Jordan and I, my brother Jordan and myself, uh, we were playing, you know, just a, a handful of fighting games. And I don't really play a lot of 3D fighting games. Like, I'll play Tekken with friends, but it's never something that I've spent so much time in that, like... I play it on my own free time but uh my brother ha had a copy of dead or alive and you know despite the stigma around dead or alive <laughs> if you know you know um it's it's a fun fighting game series so he offered to like let's play this and yeah sure um and so the the thing about dead or alive is that um it's a 3d fighter like tekken but tekken has this button system where you have one button for your left arm, one button for your right arm, one button for your left leg, and one button for your right leg. And the way combos work in that game is that based on the combo tree that you are on, the button that you press next will do something different. There's like a hundred, maybe 200 for some characters, se different sequences of buttons, and it's very overwhelming. Um, and professional anxiety. players will say, yeah, uh, you know, high-level players will say you don't need to know all of them. You just need to know a handful and maybe a couple that people won't expect. But, like, that's still kind of a lot to work your way through. And I think what Dead or Alive does really well is it simplifies that. You have a button for punches, a button for kicks, and a button for guarding. Um, and and okay. so it's, it's a lot more manageable. And so I was able to think a lot more intuitively about all right, how do I, like, when do I wait for my brother to whiff? When do I knock him up into the air? And what is the best way for me to keep him up in the air while I deal as much damage as possible? Um, and it, it's just a lot more instant and a lot more gratifying. But once I got the basics of that down, I decided to load up Tekken again, uh, Tekken 7. And after practicing with a character for a while, like, I can't say i'm good at tekken it's been a while since i last practiced it but i took the things i learned from playing dead or alive for an hour maybe two hours and it has improved my tekken game just through virtue of all right i might not know the exact button sequence that launches my enemy into the air but once they are in the air i know what i have to do to keep them up yeah yeah the other okay can i i've got a weird direction to take this one in Okay, yeah, um, let's hear it. But I'm wondering if you have something a little bit more in the pocket that you want to transition to, and then we can, like, hit the playbill, and I can get weird afterwards. Okay, yeah, sure. I do actually have that, so... <laughs> All right, please. Good job. <laughs> um, so, uh, like Chris has been getting into fighting games this past year, I have been getting into shmups, shoot-em-ups. Um, and something that I have... The, the, the shmups that I started with are bullet hells, which are these you know, a lot, like, very dense patterns of bullets flying at you um, at lower speeds, but you're, uh, the, the 
ship or whatever that you are controlling has a very tiny hitbox of like a single pixel so um you know when i started it was overwhelming because i was obsessing so much over like where in this huge sprite is the single pixel that will actually cause death if anything touches it um and so i'm not, you spend so much time focusing on you like where you are in the screen um but the more you play these games, the more you start to realize that the bullets have a very set trajectory. And once you know what that trajectory is, you're not thinking about where you are in relation to the bullets. You're thinking more in terms of where the bullets will be in relationship to where you want to be. So you're it's actually like thinking fucking, like... Uh, <laughs> say like what? that fucking Wayne Gretzky quote. <laughs> I don't know, is it? Uh, Wayne Gretzky. I think it's Wayne Gretzky. I'm not a hockey fan, but... Uh... <laughs> supposedly Wayne Gretzky was once quoted as like somebody asked him like what his secret was for like why he was so fucking good at hockey and one of the things he said was I don't skate to where the puck is I skate to where the puck's going to be mm-hmm. I mean like yeah uh, maybe I am quoting Wayne Gretzky inadvertently <laughs> but that's only Wayne because Gretzky, phenomenal schmutt player <laughs> exactly you don't know I don't maybe. know either um, but yeah, no, that's that's kind of where the the fun of shmups, and that's that's kind of the gap that you need to cross is predicting where the bullets are going to be. And so when I went from that genre and the games made by that company, Cave, um, it, Cave is the name of the company, um, to more conventional, like less dense bullets, but like they travel faster and your hitbox is like wider. Um, I was able to play the game to the point where, like, I was comfortable with knowing where the bullets were going to be. But then I had a new hurdle of my hitbox is so much bigger that even if I know where the bullets are going to be, they'll still hit me because I'm, t- like, I'm too confident in my own ability to, like, <laughs> outmaneuver them. And so... <laughs> exactly. Your arrogance. Exactly. But so then the learning curve then became a question of all right if i move like as cockily as i do in those other games i will get shots and now it it became a question of positioning how can i move so that i don't get cornered um and you know again it's kind of intuitive where you're like all right i see where the bullets are i can't get hit but what you have to learn to intuit is like how to pace your movement and not find yourself in a corner where there's nowhere to run. That's really like, I find bullet hells and shmups fascinating. And there's a couple that I've like enjoyed enough to put a fair amount of time into, Mm -hmm. but I've never, I don't feel like I've ever crossed that threshold. Like I, I am not good at bullet hells. It's a really good feeling. I highly recommend redownloading Jamestown. I haven't played Jamestown, but I know you own it, so. Yeah, I I wonder if I can redownload it. I don't remember like what service I purchased that through and I don't know if I if it's salvageable from my old computer. Although that old computer's hard drive is sitting on my shelf. I can probably get it off there. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, that I I think shmups are so interesting cuz like again, I think that games that can get a lot of mileage out of like a very small number of mechanics are really cool to look at. Mm-hmm. Like even if I don't find myself enjoying them super super like reliably, I think they're interesting. 
And shmups are base like a, a good bullet hell is basically that. It's like you can move and you can shoot and you can try not to get shot. <laughs> now I'll have to I'll have to see about putting Jamestown on my new computer and giving that another another go to see if I can make it click a little better. Mm-hmm. Like it it does take some like I, I I do think if you want to get into shmups it's definitely kind of there is a peak or you know what I mean. Like, there's a certain hill that you need to climb, but once you climb it, you're like, oh, oh, <laughs> this is amazing. Like, how did I just do that? I'm awake. I'm, I'm wide, wide awake. awake. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry to our listeners. No, that's uh, that's a plug for your Twitch. There we go. <laughs> come, come follow my Twitch channel and you'll get to hear that audio. <laughs> Uh, anyway, let's let's slide on over to the playbill. We had to do that last week. Let's do that again. Now we're here in the playbill, I suppose. Um, <laughs> hey, Dylan. Yeah, what's up, Chris? Tell me about your other podcast. Yes. So, Chris, I. I didn't want it to come out like this but i am cheating on you you slattern sorry (laughs) you took that a lot better than i thought (laughs) (laughs) yeah that you heard that first phoneme and you were like chris no (laughs) it's i mean like i feel like we've said have we said worse? I don't know. It's it, that's a bit know. of a loaded it's, word. It, we we have said worse, just not along that axis. I don't think. Yeah, because um, <laughs> that's not our axis. No. <laughs> Anywho, uh, yeah. So I I'm in another podcast. It's about anime. If you like anime, you should check it out. It's about this old anime called uh, Macross. It's an anime franchise from the 80s till the early the 80s, 2010s. 90s, and I want to say. Um, and hopefully we'll get another project eventually. Who knows? Um, but yeah, so uh, sorry, this is a really rushed plug, but uh, <laughs> we spent so much time on that bit. Uh, if you want to check us out, you can find us on, uh, I didn't say the title. The title <laughs> of the podcast is Dude, You Remember Macross. We're that's so good at what we in, do, Dylan. Shut up, Chris. That's dude as in, dude, Chris, if you don't shut the fuck up, I'm going to smack the shit out of you um and yeah you can find us on anchor.fm slash dude you remember we are also on spotify google play and apple podcasts you should also go check out the unexplored places it's an actual play podcast that dylan and i are both on as player characters uh we are currently running a game in the scum and villainy game system to tell a story about Space Ne'er-Do-Wells getting up to no good. Uh, it's been a great time. There's been a lot of really wonderful recent sessions. Uh, and I'm incre- I'm always super thrilled when we get to record that. And I hope you go give it a listen. You can find them on Twitter at UnexploredCast or at unexploredcast.libsyn.com. Thank you, as always, to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. They are a network full of great podcasts about video games. So if you like our show, you'll probably like some of theirs. They run the gamut from the... Uh, the fan podcast to the news news and sort of industry scuttlebutt to shows about game development to weird high-minded stuff like us. Um, and so if you like us, you should go check them out. All of the shows are always being retweeted over on Twitter at HPVG Pod Network. 
Thank you also to our patrons at patreon.com slash bsgpod. It's your fault that we are able to do this. Uh, that came out differently than I meant, but I love you. Uh, it's not the it, first time you've said that. It's not. It just, it, it felt more aggressive. Um, <laughs> but genuinely, we it, it means the world to us that we don't lose money on things like our website and hosting and stuff like that. So, And that is all because of you guys, and that's incredible. So if you... If you like the show and you are not a patron and you want to support us in like a very real and direct way, that is a great way to do that over at patreon.com slash bsgpod. Um, I'm going to plug that I have started Twitch streaming. I'm on twitch.tv slash cjwilsonvo. I changed it because that's easier to say out loud than the old handle. Uh, but yeah, if you want to watch me play video games while I talk about them in much the same way I do on this show... Uh, that's twitch.tv slash cjwilsonvo, and you can find me streaming sometimes. I'm still working on a consistent schedule because life is hard. Hey, Dylan, anything else for you to plug? No. All right, let's get back to it. Woo! So here's my weird thing that your, your prompt made me think of. All right, let's get weird. Magic the Gathering. Yep, sounds about right. <laughs> so... Uh, what what put this in my mind is Magic. I've talked about it on the show before, but if you are not aware, it is a it is a trading card game. It is kind of the granddaddy trading card game in a lot of ways. Uh, it sort of set the standard for like what a lot of games would do mechanically, um, and it is an incredibly complex game. I believe there was recently a, a like an actual experiment done that proved that mathematically speaking. Magic the Gathering is more complex in terms of possible choices and things to hold in your brain than any other game that has ever been made, which is a weird thing. Mm -hmm. um, but when Dylan brought up this idea of like intuitive versus studied learning when it comes to games, it made me think of Magic because Magic is a game all about really knowing what the cards and the decks that you are likely to be up against are. Uh, depending on what format you're playing, depending on, you know, how competitive it is, depending on what, like, if you're playing, you know, limited versus constructed, there's all of these different things, but being good at magic is all about having, if not a comprehensive knowledge, at least a, a passing understanding of what it is likely you are going to be up against. Because there's so many fucking cards that building a deck that's going to play well is about building it to not just lose if somebody happens to roll up with a certain play style and having it be consistent enough to do what it needs to do regardless of what your opponent is playing means that you need to know what your opponent is likely to be playing. And so there's a ton of that like studied, like Dylan was talking about with having to get into... Um, I almost said Last Blade 2, but that's that's me. Uh, <laughs> fuck, uh, Sin and Punishment 2. Uh, there's a lot of that kind of work to be done if you want to play Magic at like a competitive level. But the thing is, most... And this is becoming less and less true as time goes on, but especially in the early days, most of the people who got really good at Magic and who were like, you know, winning the professional tournaments in the Magic scene were coming from the world of poker. And oh, the reason really? they were doing so well is because they, even though, you know, they're not any more well-versed in the cards than anyone else that they were playing against. Like, once you get to that level, if you're if you're looking to play Magic at a professional tournament, you've done your research. You've done the, like, 
book learning you need to do to know what you're likely going to be up against. But the poker players were bringing, but but the poker pro- play. They, I can't. <laughs> why can't I say poker players? <laughs> The but the poker, poker players. players were bringing all of that knowledge of how to read a table, how to mm-hmm. like, you know, I don't want to simplify it to like follow your gut because there's a lot more to good poker play than that. But like all of those instincts that they were honing in the world of poker, of blackjack, of whatever, whatever form of card game they were playing, that was all applicable to magic too in its own way. In knowing how to bluff your opponent and knowing how to not give up information, knowing how to read someone's tells, all of these things that are not able to be learned by looking at the new set and like drafting combos and figuring out what the metagame looks like. It's that intuition, it's that thought process of like, why are they doing the things they're doing? What are they trying to get me to do? What are they hoping I'm gonna do? How can I get around what they're thinking I'm gonna do? Almost like chess players. Mm-hmm playing for that like three steps ahead mindset which is not something that again it's it's similar and you can train it but it's it's not the same kind of like i'm gonna learn the frame data on this one fighting game characters moves it's i'm gonna practice movement in general i'm gonna practice blocking it's that basics level learning and i just i thought that was like if I'm me, I have to bring some kind of oddball, not at all game related thing to these episodes. No, that was fucking so. fascinating. Like I, you, it it makes sense, but it's not something that I ever would have thought about. Yeah, and it, it's something that it, I didn't really notice for a while uh, until I realized that, like, oh, like I, I think it was because I was listening to. There's a podcast called Limited Resources, which is all about like magic theory and mm-hmm. uh, kind of like it's a couple of guys who used to be big pro players and now they've moved on to more like commentary side but like them kind of talking about magic as a game and oh, yeah. offering their insights to people who are trying to get better and they met they both mentioned i'm pretty sure both of the hosts of that show louis scott scott bip, 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 uh both of the hosts of that show louis scott vargas and uh marshall sutcliffe i'm pretty sure they both were professional poker players before they got into magic and okay. so that's got me like thinking and I did some research and like a surprising number of pros to this day but again especially like you know nowadays it's much more people who grew up like they were playing magic when they were 5 because mm-hmm. magic was around when they were 5 uh and they've stuck with it whereas you know when magic was 5 years old it was poker players cuz they were adults <laughs> um, right but yeah it's it's this fascinating thing and that's one of the things that I think is so cool and that's something that I've noticed just like to get really high-minded, kind of works with games in general. Because, like, I've recently gotten my fiancé into Hollow Knight. Oh, what? Um, Yeah. Alex (laughs) really likes Hollow Knight from, like, an aesthetic point of view and Mm -hmm. from a story point of view. And so finally I was like, yeah, I mean, we can, like, let's play together. Like, you can play, and if you get frustrated and want me to take on a boss, I can jump in. But, like, let's, you know, you seem interested in this, and let's, let's play. And it is really interesting, and I, I'm i not saying this to be like, and my fiancé is terrible at video games, but like, <laughs> she didn't grow up playing video games. Right. And so it's it's been fascinating watching her having to put in that like conscious thinking work into figuring out how to play a platformer. Mm-hmm. Because 
for me, you know, different platformers play in different ways and they handle differently. But if I pick up a game and you tell me this is a side-scrolling platformer, I'm gonna kind. I've got enough general game muscle memory to pick it up and play and be okay at it right. for the most part. And so it's been really interesting, like watching her having to consciously put in the work to develop that muscle memory that people who grew up with consoles in their homes didn't don't have to do anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure you felt that way, Dylan, with picking up like a new platform where it's just like, oh, I, oh, I absolutely. know how this game works. It's like this is jump. Uh, does this button increase my momentum? Oh, it does. Okay, awesome. Yeah, um, you know, and those are the things. Oh, I have an air dash. Cool. Yeah, it's like okay, do, you know, and playing the game of like, okay, well, if I if I start jumping forward and I release the stick, do I keep on that arc or do I stop moving? Like, mm-hmm. does the does the momentum stop? And there's that kind of stuff that you have to like consciously like check. Yeah, and but I, you've I think, got I think the framework the in your head of like these are the things that I need to figure out about it's like this putting platformer. on a new pair of shoes. Yeah, and trying yeah. to feel how they fit. Exactly. And it's, it's fascinating, because, like, I've also seen that with, like, she has been playing more games since we got a game system, uh, mm-hmm. since we got our Switch. But, like, it's fascinating, because, like, that's the case, but then something like Katamari, mm-hmm. there's not as much a difference there between, like, her level of play and mine, because that's just kind of its own thing. Right. Like, Katamari doesn't really play like any other game, and so there's not that same, you know, gap in muscle memory, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it's been, I don't know, it's just been, it's been really interesting kind of seeing in real time that kind of work being done. I don't know, it's, it's I, I fascinating kind of, how... I have, a, I have a loose relation to that, but yeah, go, can, can No, go, I, I was just gonna say, it's, it's fascinating the degree to which, like, if you grew up playing video games, there's a certain degree to which, like, if someone hands you a controller and a game you've never played before you've already built, like, the neural pathways in your brain that will allow you to pick that up mm-hmm. much more readily than someone who is new to the medium. And I just think that's really interesting, because, like, we're... In the same way that, like, poker players were prepared for Magic the Gathering, if you've been playing any kind of game for the majority of your life, you've got that kind of game intuition, for lack of a less goofy-sounding term... <laughs> I don't know. It's fascinating. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I actually have a similar story where um, I've been playing a lot of Mario Kart recently. Um, and I've had Mario Kart 64 basically as long as my parents have had Mario Kart 64 because, of course, they bought the console and they bought the game. And so my my dad loves doing the, the time trials in Mario Kart 64. Um, and so basically everything I learned about playing Mario Kart was stuff I learned from my dad. So uh, in Mario Kart 64 specifically, this is in every Mario Kart game, I believe, but um, you, you, you can hop, which if you look at the speedometer function of Mario Kart 64, um, hopping, hopping to turn lowers the momentum of your cart a lot less than manually turning while on the ground. Um, but because there's inertia, you um, have less friction, so it's easier to go out of control. So basically, my dad and myself, we would play Mario Kart, and whenever we had a turn coming up, we would basically hop, because that was how we could keep our momentum while still turning. Yeah. 
something I uh, learned from a friend who came over our house before the pandemic started and just decided to fuck up our time trial data <laughs> and beat all our records. He didn't beat all of them. Um, but what, uh, What's new high score mean? Hey, Dylan, what, what's, what's new record? <laughs> oh, no, he knew. He knew what he was doing. Um, but he did something I didn't know was in Mario Kart 64. I knew it was a mechanic in later games, but I didn't know it was in Mario Kart 64, which is the uh, skidding. So after you hop, if you hold the control stick in the direction you were turning, you will skid. And when, like, based on the uh, duration of the skid, you get a larger speed boost when you decide to let go of the hop button. And I saw that and it blew my cherry blasted mind. <laughs> and so I, I was like, okay, I didn't know that was a thing. You got to teach me how to do that. And like, he, he taught my dad and myself how to do it. But because I have played so much more games and like complicated inputs, not really complicated, but comparatively complicated inputs like that kind of come naturally to me where I can hold down the trigger while holding the accelerator down, while holding the control stick in a direction um, and adjusting the control stick as needed based on the turn those are not that is so like far above the the pale for what my dad has ever had to do when he plays video games because he yeah. it's not like he's been playing games ever since we got a gamecube for example yeah yeah um, you know the gamecube came out my dad played like mlb baseball or whatever and that was it <laughs> uh so when I was getting when when I got Mario Kart Eight uh, to play with the whole family this Christmas, we uh, you know I was doing this thing where like I was constant I was testing to see how the you know the properties of the turn changed and like what can I do on two hundred CC and what I can do on this and my dad was just like Dylan I just want to play the fucking game. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, so, right? So. I, yeah, it's just kind of a funny thing of like how I have developed all the all this other overlap of skills that like has made getting better at Mario Kart something easier and being able to apply what I learned from my dad and what I learned from my friend who my friend doesn't hop like that and so he hasn't been able to beat some of my dad's records because <laughs> that's a skill that he hasn't learned quite yet um and how I was able to kind of take what I, I learned from both of them and yeah video games are cool <laughs> video games are very cool hey, hey dylan yeah what's up what does this have to do with theater not that this is like a theater podcast but hey we 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 do have a way of tying this into our core competencies here yeah so you know to to sum that all up and bringing it back to theater theater is repetition on like you know rehearsal is repetition when you prepare for a performance, it is the product of weeks, sometimes months of rehearsal. And so, you know, in, in the case of a play, you've already done the homework, you've memorized the lines, you're doing all this other stuff in your off time. But when you go into rehearsal, you're just doing a scene over and over again, and you're adjusting it based on the direction of your director but you when it when it's time for opening night hopefully everything you should be doing is intuitive because it is in your muscle memory and it is just something you can pull out and perform 
Yeah, the the goal of the rehearsal process, and I I would be shocked if I hadn't said this before on the show. We've definitely said it before on the show, but... Yeah, the goal of the rehearsal process is to get everything that you are doing consistently, all of the lines, all of the blocking, all of your work coming up with your objectives and tactics, all of these things that we have talked about before, to the point where you are doing them without thinking. Because then that frees you up to be paying attention exclusively to what is going on on the stage around you, what's going on with your scene partners, what's going on with the energy in the room. Because then that's when you get to play. And that's when you get to, like, obviously I'm not saying, like, we rehearse it a certain way, and then you get out there on opening night and just go fucking crazy. But, like, to use an anecdote, actually, from our... um our Dylan and my uh, senior thesis when we were in school together, we worked together on our our senior thesis play, uh, and there was a scene in which I was working with um, another actress who was in the show with us, and we were sitting at a table and having a conversation. And opening night comes, and again, like I said, like like the goal of the whole thing is, I was really feeling like, okay, I know what I'm doing, I've got it going. It was the play was running smoothly. And we get to the scene where we're sitting at a table and having a conversation. And I noticed just like as one of this and in this kind of like heated moment of this conversation, she sort of leaned forward and like put her hands on the table between us. And I had this moment of like, my next line is taking the piss out of what she just did. I'm just going to ape her movement. I'm going to do exactly what she just did physically in that moment (laughs) back at her because it is the perfect like accompaniment to the energy of the scene and it just like the the scene felt so much more alive and the work feels so much more alive when you're able to get out of your own head to notice those little things that you can play with and that's when it's just that, that's yeah. when it's the most fun when you have done the work and you've put in the hours and you're then able to just go out there and like again riff on it feels like i'm saying you know fucking ad lib <laughs> which is no, not but, what i'm getting at like you're you're sticking to the script because you're not even thinking about the script at that point. You're not thinking about yeah. the blocking. You're not thinking about the script. You are just doing it. Um, and you you yeah. are confident that you are doing it well enough that you can focus on other things. You can read the energy of the room. Um, if the crowd seems a little dead, you can try to bed it all on a stupid gag. Um, yeah. You know you're you're not thinking. You're you're reacting to the energy of the of the space, which that that's yeah. a very drama and professor then on... thing for me to just say. <laughs> it is, but you're you're totally right. And then on sort of the macro level, like even outside of an individual production, that's the kind of work that then to to tie it to that like. You know, I've been playing video games for literally as long as I can remember, so I can kind of pick up any game and get a feel for it. That's what auditioning is all about. Like, we've got these years of, like, both, you know, formal training, but also, like, doing the work on stage, doing the work auditioning. So now, if I get an audition, or if it's, like, you know, a voiceover session where... They send me the script the night before, and then it's just like, all right, hop on, hop on the remote recording and like knock it out right now. That's where that kind of, again, for lack of a better term, sort of muscle memory of like 
having done all this work in those kind of long-form stage settings, you're able to take that kind of knowledge of, like, okay, how do I analyze the scene? How do I break it down? And you can condense it into that, like, I might not do it perfectly on the first read, but I'm going to give them the best read I can with all of this built-up experience and built-up intuition that I've got, and then the director can take you from there. And, like, it's... You know, there's all there's other skills like if I I we could tie improv into this thing too because improv is all about having that kind of intuition. Uh, but I am not nearly as versed in improv as I am in the other things we're talking about. Um, but yeah, like it's 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 all the same thing. It's all about, and I, I'm sure that this applies to you know, pick your thing, cooking or sport or whatever whatever thing you're doing. I'm sure that there is a a similar energy to finding yourself getting better where you have that balance of like the rehearsal and the practice and the like actively thinking about it but then you've also got that wealth of like growing intuition that you get just from doing something over and over again it's a cool fucking thing (laughs) (laughs) like we're we're tapping into the overlap of like What's so what I like about games and the the work that we do as actors, and also like my dad's a fucking psychology and neuroscience professor, so there's like interesting behavior and learning stuff that like I know he like my father's sitting in Michigan right now, like good, excellent job, Chris. You have picked you up have my grown. lessons well. I don't know why I made my dad sound like a fucking eighty year old smoker. His <laughs> voice is like higher a than very mine. Chill guy, like my this dad's an incredibly chill guy, and also does not sound like that. <laughs> But yeah, um, that's really all I've got for this. Um, my my finishing statement is that uh, because this is me, Dylan, talking, um, Sonic Adventure 2 is a good game. No one just knows how to fucking play it. <laughs> good night, everybody. <laughs> I love that that's your fucking closing argument. I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> hey, thanks, everybody, for, for listening to this week's episode of Backstage Gaming. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Please, uh, if you if you have any games that you have found that you feel like you're able to kind of intuit your way through or like that intuition aspect is a more important almost than actively learning, please let us know. Also, let me know about like what other shit you do that you feel resonates with this. Uh, I brought up cooking because that's something that like I really love to do and I love following a recipe, but I also love just like throwing shit in the pot and seeing what comes out, like fucking Link with my dubious <laughs> food. Um... But yeah, just share share with us your experiences with this kind of like intuitive learning that you have experienced in the past, and Dylan will tell you how to do that momentarily. But before that, please, if you like our show, please remember to share it with your friends and family and loved ones. Tell your DoorDash driver about it next time you order food in, because you better not be going out. I'll know. I'll know if you do, and I'll be disappointed in you. Don't do it. Tell your DoorDash driver about backstage gaming. <laughs> Also, if you want to know more about us, you can check out our website, bsgpod.com. It's got info about us. It's got a contact form if you want to reach out to us directly. All that good stuff. Hey, Dylan, what about social media? Uh, Yeah, if you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter, where our handle is at bsg underscore cast. Um, And if you want to talk about us, talk with us, uh, engage with us in any meaningful way, uh, we recommend you use that hashtag bsgpod. It helps us. Um, also, huge, huge thanks to our friend Brennan French for the key art he has provided our show. If you dig his stuff, you should check out his other stuff um, on my Twitter because that's still my face or my Twitter profile picture. 
Thanks, Brennan. Um, mm-hmm. But also, you should check him out at his, on his Squarespace at brennan-french.squarespace.com. That is b-r-e-n-n-e-n-french.squarespace.com and instagram.com slash brennanfrencharts. You can also find him on Twitter at brennan underscore french. You should also go show some love to our friend BioQuery. He's the musician behind our theme song, Dot Sound Radio Volume 1 Instrumentality. You can find him by going to soundcloud.com slash BioQuery. That's soundcloud.com slash B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y. Or by searching for BioQuery on Spotify. Thanks again to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. Check out all the other shows being retweeted over at HPVG Pod Network on Twitter. And thanks again to our patrons at patreon.com slash bsgpod for supporting us. If you want to support us in a very direct way, that is a great way to do that. Anything else for the good of the order, Dylan? I, I already said my Sonic thing. You so you good. really did. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, we everybody. gotta go roll around at the speed of sound. Got places to go. Yeah.